0: Hey kids, it's your host Aisha. In this episode of The Classical Classroom, I chat with Nicholas McGeegan, and he's an expert in conducting Baroque music, which is basically one of the most specialized careers that you could possibly have. (laughs) And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you and say that I have kind of a hard time connecting with Baroque music. It's not that I don't appreciate it, because I do. It's just that it sounds like a time and place that I don't have a natural connection to. And, um, like, it, like, I imagine earthlings who live on the Mars colony in 2525 will feel the same way about pop music today, you know? But Nicholas McGeegan made me want to know more about this music in this conversation, and I think you're going to feel the same way, too. When you do, don't forget to subscribe to, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. And now on with the show. There's a rumor going around that classical music can be Hoity-toity. <laughs> But here in the classical classroom, we beg to differ. Beethoven
1: 5. <laughs> the idea that classical music is a zone where we have to
0: feel restricted or we have to act in a certain way. You know, that's not going to be helpful going forward. <laughs> Isaiah is shaking with excitement Oh, here. I mean, there's just so many great parts of the opera. He asked me to play his favorite spot in the first Moon of the Bronze. And then he said, I started using those licks in my guitar solos. To be classical music rock stars because there's not enough of that in this business. Occasionally, I would plug in the mandolin to my distortion pedals. (laughs) I don't change my voice. (laughs) Talking to classical (laughs) music. I'm playing classical music now. I mean, it's it's the same 12 notes. That's what's so cool about it. I'm Dacia Clay, a classical music newbie, and I'm trying to learn all I can about the music. Come learn with me and the classical music experts I invite into the classical classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Desha Clay, and here with me today is Grammy-nominated conductor Nicholas McGeegan. He's an early music expert, and until very recently, he was the conductor of the San Francisco Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra, where he's about to become the music director laureate, from what I understand. Um, he's also the principal guest conductor of the Pasadena Symphony, and all of this talk about Baroque music leads me to what we're going to be talking about today, music by Jean Philippe Rameau with librettist and I'm not kidding here Voltaire uh, Nicholas McGeegan welcome to the Classical Classroom
1: Thank you very much
0: So you clearly have a deep relationship with early music and as I was preparing for this interview I kept coming across the term early music and baroque music and they were kind of used interchangeably but can you tell me what the difference is? Well yes I can
1: I hope Baroque music is one bit of what you might think of as early music. Okay. If you like early music, you could define if you wanted to as music before Mozart, mm-hmm. but it could start just about anywhere, probably around 1000 AD, uh, which is wow. the fir- about the first time where you have music that's in some way written down. That yeah. would be really, really early music. Before that, you basically have to make it up because you don't really know what they did. And so (laughs) then you have what you would call, it goes through the periods pretty much the same as historical periods. You have medieval music, you have Renaissance music, which then goes into Baroque music, and that sort of morphs into classical music which is what we think of as the music of Mozart, Beethoven and so on and that becomes if right. you like normal music but anything yeah. before that it, it, another side of it is that most of the music before let's say 1750 approximately so Mozart was born in 1756 so we we'll are talking the middle of the 18th century there mm-hmm. the instruments that are used to play it are not quite the same as the instruments that are used today or would be used, shall we say, by the Seattle Symphony. Some of them right. are pretty much the same, like the violin or the cello. But instead of a piano, you've got a harpsichord, which is a plucked instrument rather than a, a one with little hammers like a piano. The yeah. flute is not made of metal. It's made of wood. It doesn't have nearly so many keys. So you have these earlier versions of the instruments. And what we're doing when we play, as they say, on period instruments, is that we're using these instruments from the period when the music was written rather than the the modern instruments that you'd hear, say, in the Seattle Symphony. I've actually right. done Baroque music many times with the Seattle Symphony. It's always great fun. But they are using modern instruments. Occasionally they'll bring in a harpsichord Or something but we're using in Philharmonia we're using instruments as they were in the 18th century which is why the sound is a little more delicate a little more pastel rather than full-blooded if you Mm -hmm. like and then some of the brass instruments are actually a lot wilder
0: why are you so passionate about this music why does it appeal to you well
1: I think that just because something's old doesn't mean that it's out of that it no longer means anything I mean, you could use the same argument about Shakespeare. It still speaks to a modern audience. And the Baroque part of it is merely style.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, these people in the 18th century, just because they wore fantastic wigs and lots of gold, doesn't mean that they weren't passionate human beings. They, didn't, they yeah. laughed and cried just as we did. They were beastly to each other. Uh, <laughs> and they liked dancing. I mean, nothing really has changed except blue Mm -hmm. jeans. Um, (laughs) And, you know, funnily enough, uh, you could say that in terms, if you wanted a really fabulous Baroque singer these days, you might as well say Lady Gaga. I mean, she changes (laughs) her outfit every two seconds and wears the most extraordinary costumes, some of which look like Baroque opera costumes in their own right, actually. So, Yeah, that was
0: uh, going to be my next question. Like, what's being made now that people are going to be playing hundreds of years? And what is it that makes something stand the test of time like that?
1: Well, I think if it speaks to the fundamental emotions of human beings. I, who will be 70 next year, am the generation of the Beatles. So, you know, when uh, a Beatles song like All You Need Is Love comes along, that speaks to me, and I hope it speaks to somebody who might be fifteen.
0: Yeah,
1: it's it's timeless.
0: Yeah,
1: I I think that uh, you know, Material Girl, My Madonna, and things is absolutely fabulous, and I think <laughs> it will last because it. Why uh, you know, uh, YMCA is great, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, there's music uh, of earlier periods that have survived, and not just music, painting plays uh, that yeah. have survived because they still resonate they're dealing with uh, the most basic and strong of human emotions and those yeah. don't change
0: right there's something like fundamental and archetypical sure. in the music absolutely yeah. and
1: one of the okay. things that was extraordinary about this opera is that there were some lines in it quite pointed lines by voltaire about Mm -hmm. what it takes to become a good ruler and they were quite pointed uh, which got applause and chuckles 200 Uh and something years (laughs) later because they still resonated Mm -hmm. in modern America
0: So I'm taking a break from my conversation with Nicholas McGeegan to read you a haiku that I wrote about our website Are you ready? Where do I donate? classicalclassroomshow.com at the tip jar Huh? Huh? You like it? Also, do you like what you see on our website? Well, our friends at New Y made it, and they can make a website for you, too. They can also help you promote your business. Check them out at slash NW, that's N as in new, and W as in Y. This episode of Classical Classroom is sponsored by Maestro Classics. They're the creators of Stories and Music, which is this recorded series that they made for kids and families. It's won more than 50 awards, not to mention general adoration from the people who listen to it. It features the London Philharmonic Orchestra, and it takes those musical stories and it, and it like brings them to life. It's one of those things where kids learn while they're having fun without actually knowing that they're learning. And there's an activity book that goes along with it. It's a whole thing. Maestro Classics just announced a brand new recording in this series called Bach and the Organ. It's all about J.S. Bach, who you may have heard of on this very show, and it tells the story of his life while talking about the pipe organ, which, P.S., back in the day, was the most advanced mechanical instrument that had ever existed. And you can learn more about this album and the rest of the series at maestroclassics.com and wait for it. You can also save 17% off of your order by using coupon code CLASSROOM. Yay! And now, back to my conversation with conductor Nicholas McGeegan about Rameau's opera The Temple of Glory, which I think I'm supposed to say in French, but I'm not going to do that. We should talk about the story behind this. So, so as I understand, this was written for King Louis the Fifteenth, who I gather was not a particularly sophisticated guy. Oh, so he was. Tell uh, me about he that. He was
1: very, very sophisticated. He wasn't necessarily a very good king. Um
0: uh, okay, got it.
1: The French had just won a battle, which is a big battle, and it's something they didn't do very often. So, uh, they had lots of wars, but they usually lost. And mm-hmm. uh, So they decided to do this opera as a big national celebration. This would be the equivalent of a a ticker tape parade, but a very cultural ticker tape parade. And Voltaire, being the sort of person he was, decided he wouldn't just do a, oh, Mr. King, you're wonderful. He posed the question, what are the qualities that make a good ruler? Yeah. And so, you set up a couple of full guys. First of all, you have in Act One you have a thug. He's a bloodthirsty mm-hmm. tyrant, you know, an Ivan the Terrible type. Mm-hmm. In modern terms, you could say an ol- a Russian oligarch. <laughs> in the second act you've got the sort of Las Vegas King uh, he likes the parties the gambling the girls and mm-hmm. uh, the that's Bacchus, of course, the god of wine, but he's not governing. He's just mm-hmm. using his money for frivolous things. He's being he's the essence of frivolity. Let, message to King, not great.
0: Alright. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Third act, Emperor Trajan comes along, one of the few good Roman emperors, who has also just won a battle, but he releases from captivity his enemies. He sends them home where they promise to be good. He's nice to everybody. And the big the big question at the end really is who who is going to be good enough to enter the Temple of Glory? which is a sort of, Mm -hmm. if you like, ruler's hall of fame. Mm -hmm. It's clearly not the thug. It's clearly not Bacchus. But yes, it is Trajan. He's Mm -hmm. got all the qualities that you need. He puts his country first, not himself. Uh, He's magnanimous in victory. He listens, and this is what makes a good thing. Voltaire then went up to the king and asked... Is Trajan pleased? In other words, did you get that, that this is what you should be? King, of course, didn't like mm-hmm. that very much. You don't. Uh, <laughs> you don't. You don't generally tell kings what to do. Voltaire <laughs> did. Uh, of course, the, the, the king didn't like it very much because there's nothing saying the audience didn't really get it. But of course, they probably couldn't show it. Uh, so it 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 has uh, talking about resonating. To a yeah. modern audience, this really does resonate to the honors and I say that some of the lines got applause.
0: Wow, that's w- so. This manuscript, this is was was like recently discovered. It's at been UC in, Berkeley.
1: It's been in UC Berkeley for about sixty or seventy years. Uh, okay. Ramo was not particularly an an interest to scholars for quite a while, mm. uh, but in the nineties, uh, one of the graduate students who I know very well um, pointed this out to me and we actually made a recording in the 90s of uh, some of the dance music and then Mm -hmm. it's taken 20 years to put a coalition of people together both artistic and financial and and international with the Centre for Baroque Music at Versailles to put everything together so we can actually do the stage production and that's what the CDs are
0: Why was it important to you to revive this piece? Well,
1: I I believe in it I think Ramos' music is amazing I think it's underrated partly because it doesn't get performed very much because it's so expensive with all the ballet and the chorus and everything. They're not staged yeah. very often. Uh, yeah. So it's great to do one. And I thought this one, which is an American premiere in this version, means it's also news. And the music is mm-hmm. from the very best period of Ramo and it's uh, terrific words by Voltaire. So it's a, uh, it, I thought it really deserved a hearing and it has a certain local cachet since the manuscript mm-hmm. is right here in the Bay Area.
0: Well, N- Nicholas McGeegan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. This has been great.
1: Great pleasure, thank you.
0: All right, everyone, that does it for this episode. We hope you got your learn on. And if you would like to get yet more learns on, go to classicalclassroomshow.com. Listen to all of our episodes. Play with the cute little pink headphone thingy. Connect with our social media and send us a message. Thanks to the home of Classical Classroom King FM, where we use WD40 to fix pretty much everything. Thanks to the birthplace of Classical Classroom, Houston Public Media. Thanks to the official go-bag supplier of Classical Classroom, Gonzo's Discount Go Bags. You're in a hurry. What do you care? Thanks to Nicholas McGeegan for being on the show. Thanks to me for saying words, but most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.